0: Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Copon
1: We have in our hands the shining and the fire in our hearts of a star. Who are we that our tongues should palter, hearts bow down, hands falter, who are clothed as with flame from the altar that the kings of the earth repining far off watch from afar two games in and liverpool are already back on top of the league the mentality monsters are back on top of the league and cop on podcast is back welcome you purring links to this episode those opening lines were from elgonon charles swinburne the Halt Before Rome, you need to check out that poem, Absolute Beauty. And in this episode, you'll hear from Fergus McFadden in Portugal, Marty Sicora in England, and first, from Stephen Drennan, a.k.a. Babu Yagu, from the Rock Forum, and at Babu Yagu on Twitter. Stephen has recently started a stat service with one of his friends called Crack Stats, uh, C-R-A-Q-U-E. Stats, check him out. It's absolutely brilliant. And my first question was to Stephen, asking him if he could please tell us more.
2: Basically, it's uh, myself and a, a, a Portuguese guy called Dan. Uh, and we met on, on Rock, which is like a a forum for Liverpool fans. And, and we're both very, very interested in stats. And, and uh, he, he had access to data and, and could sort of use it. And, and I could give him a hand with it, sort of applying a the way I see the game to the data. So we ended up just working together. It was like a hobby, and it kind of developed from there. And then, obviously, I've started writing recently. So I'm using the, the stuff that we're doing, writing. Uh, and now we're la- we've launched a Twitter account, and then we're hoping to maybe do a, a blog or a website. or We're not really sure where to go yet. We're just taking it one step at a time and seeing how it evolves. But, uh, yeah, it, it's going well.
1: Well, it's it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I've been I've been following you you know pretty closely, and um, I've got to say that uh, it's it's really fascinating. So, all of you listeners, you need to check out Crack Stats. So, Liverpool played Southampton. Um, wow! Now it was yes, it was yesterday from when we we're recording this. Um, uh it was a really good game of football i thought it was uh, it was a uh, hairum stuff i did need to lie down after um uh when when the teams came out it was interesting um you know to see uh, you know we had a, our usual 433 we played milner van elderman Chamberlain as the midfield three and then our front three, our usual back four with Matip at the back. What did you think of those of that line up, Marty, when you saw it? Were you were you uh, thinking, you know, the three points here we come?
0: Uh I don't I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I did. I think um we anticipate there'd be a lot of changes. Um I think there was um you know, obviously the Tuba Cup in midweek, obviously Istanbul, high temperatures 120 minutes, penalties, etc. You know, it's anticipated changes, and I think it did highlight, I know there was some um, concern pre-season about the squad depth, um, but I think it showed, obviously, we dropped. You know, obviously, um, Fabinho, Henderson... Um, you know, and also utilize the squad in midfield. Obviously, the back four was relatively unchanged. Um, and also, we brought in Adrian, who who's obviously um, who who done a job for us on Wednesday night in place of Allison. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be games if we're going to play things like that in the FIFA Club World Cup in December, Champions League, the two domestic cups, Premier League. You know, we're going to have changes where we have team have a team like that. Probably isn't our strongest eleven, um, but you know, it, it's still a very adequate one. And in the end, it got the job done. I think people that are moaning about, you know, the team pre-game, you know, they end up getting bitted every time because we moan, they moan, we win. So, no issues from me. Like I said, the knowledge is not a strongest eleven, but strong enough to beat Southampton and it done the job on the day, didn't it? So
1: Well, that's a great answer and you're absolutely right because, uh, you know, that... that... You know, it's 11 games in a row now that we've won. So everybody who's moaned in the last 11 games has been wrong uh, because we have been uh, absolutely, you know, phenomenal in the league. And, you know, and and uh, with City dropping their, you know, two points and ending their winning run. I don't know. We're, we're doing so well. That's 11 Premier League wins on the on, on the bounce. I mean, as I said, it equals our record, which was set in thirteen, fourteen. And just in case you didn't know... um. The longest uh, winning streak, uh, Fergie, Fergie, God, I struggle to get his name out there, Fergie ever had was 12 wins. And if you think of all the great, you know, let's, let's face it, the great Manchester United teams that he had, uh, the best he ever managed was 12. So we have amassed also more points than Manchester City since the start of last season. Um, I don't know. Things are, things are looking really well. I think the, the league is ours this season, isn't it, Stephen? I mean, you know, this is, this is our year. We're, we're finally going to do this.
2: Yes, yeah, uh, I have a very positive feeling about the team, but the problem always remains for me that I think we're facing like a Lance Armstrong team in the 90s, uh, where it's a team that's going to amass 97 plus the 100 points every year just because of how they're built. Uh, and the reason teams don't really amass that amount of points very rarely in the whole of sport is it's an exceptional thing to do. Like if you look at any sports teams in the world, the great teams, the like uh, Chicago Bulls at their very best, they didn't win that amount of points, like as a percentage of the total points they could win. This is a really ridiculous team. And the fact that we matched them last year makes it feel like, uh, it's possible to keep doing that. But it's it's very, very hard to do. I think people don't understand how impressive it is to get the 97 points. And they take it for granted that we did it once, therefore you can just do it again. Like, it's an, an easy thing. And then it's like, uh, oh, if you just sign another player, it'll just give you an extra two or three points. But just getting 97 points again would be a ridiculous accomplishment. Like, and that's why no one's done it before until... Uh, manchester city and this team of liverpool last year it's a big achievement so it's i don't want to think ahead of myself in terms of we'll win the league i'm just trying to think about what could liverpool do this year in terms of their own points not really think about what anyone else is doing because if city win like 36 games you you just how do you compete with that so i don't think about that and i just think about what can this liverpool team do and if they can get the like 90 plus points again that's like title winning levels and then you just have to see what everyone else has done as well but um yeah it'll be an interesting season i think we're we're a very good team it's probably the best liverpool team i've ever seen uh in my lifetime so I'm very, very confident.
1: It's it's hard to compare though with the, with the different eras. But yes, I, I I would agree. I think it's the best. In terms of the athleticism, I mean, you know the the you know the the guts and the determination. I mean, some of the old teams had had very similar, but the athleticism and you know the technique. I mean, wow! Uh, you know the the eighty seven eighty eight was the best team I've I've ever seen for Liverpool, and I was just a, you know a young kid really. But I you know. I've since watched a million highlights and and I think they were as good as I remember, uh, but yeah, this team is certainly up there. But it was interesting uh, when I was listening to the Anfield rap yesterday because because like you say, uh, Stephen, I mean normally ninety plus points um, would be up there, for, you know, to challenge. But these are extraordinary times where you can get ninety seven points and not win the league. It's 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 insane. It's so hard to comprehend. How are you feeling, Fergus, about all of our uh, all of our chances this season? Well, I have to
3: agree with Stephen there because uh, before the season started, obviously everyone, uh, well, a lot of people want to make their predictions, and I think it's going to be very hard to overcome City this season just because of how good they are. So um, you know, I think we just have to. Take every game as it comes, try to beat every team in front of us and as mass as many points as we want as we can, because city is a machine. Uh, city have got a much stronger squad than us. Um, I think that uh, other teams will try to counteract Liverpool tactics this year. They'll have had a season watching us last year watching how we beat teams, and they'll have tactics to try to overcome us this season. So we'll have other obstacles. So whether we get to 97 points or not is is a question, if we can overcome the obstacles teams put in front of us. But likewise, teams will have found other ways of beating Man City as well. They'll have watched them last season and the season before and try to overcome their tactics. So it's another season. It's a new season. I don't think we'll win the league, but uh, that's me just being, um, I can say, objective or to be realistic because I think this is a really difficult season for us to uh, for, team for us to overcome in Man City but I think we'll give it a very good shot and we'll be in the top two
2: Ooh.
1: yeah wow I mean like, you know that's, that's interesting yeah you're feeling that we're not, not going to do it I, I, I don't know why I blame it on I've got absolutely no reason no particular logic uh, nothing particularly backing me up in terms of rationale apart from that we are freaking ace uh, you know, and uh, I just think uh, this is our year. I think I really do. But that's the optimism over for now, because I think, you know, it's true. Lots of, uh, you know, we've got a few problems, haven't we? I mean, in the last three games, uh, even though we only conceded eight uh, shots against Manchester City in the in the charity shield, community shield, McDonald's Cup, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we only conceded eight against City, but since then, in three matches against Norwich, Chelsea and Southampton, of course, we've conceded 46 shots. So what you were saying there, Fergus, about teams having had a season to analyse us, um, I mean, what's going wrong, uh, Marty, you know, in your opinion, what's, what's going wrong in our defence?
0: Um- I think it stems back to just early season gelling again. Um, you know, I think when you come back from pre-season, obviously we've had, um, y- y- you know, we've changed the back four, we've mixed up in pre-season, not had a back four, and there's obviously been the Matip-Gomez debate, um, you know, who, who starts Matip finishes the season so strong, but you know, obviously Gomez and Van Dyke at the beginning of last season's partnership was Pace, Power, obviously the youth of, of, Matt, uh, of Gomez as well. Um, but I also think a big part of it. I don't think Trent's in very good form. Um, I think we looked at it in pre-season. And a lot of teams were were playing a diagonal ball from the back um, across the, to the right flank of Trent. And we seem to be getting caught time and time again, especially that Napoli game in pre-season. They were catching that right side over time and time again. And moving to the community shield, they had it with Sane. Obviously, Sane got injured. And then um, a, similar kind of, uh, a similar kind of method with the goal. They lift, lifted it over from a free kick to the left side. Uh, and obviously, there was an overload on that left-hand side and they got the ball in the squad. So, I think Trent's so important to the way the back four plays. So, when he's out of form, um, it, it has quite a big impact. And I think we're getting caught down that right side quite a lot. Having said that, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of emphasis from how we defended last season. We were so good, so tight. I think, obviously, Van Dijk was almost flawless from, from game one. Um, you know, And maybe we've just been a little bit more human this time around. So, you know, we've conceded a couple of goals. Um, you know the one at Southampton was an error. The one against Norwich, you know, it was first game of the season. So I'm not too worried. You know, at the end of the day, Man City have conceded two at home. Um, you know, Chelsea have just conceded four. Arsenal conceded to Burnley. You know, I think it's part and parcel of football. I'm not too worried. I think as the season goes on, Klopp picks that back four, and we have a set back four whether it be Gomez or Matip. Trent hits his form. Allison comes back in. Then we'll we'll look a lot more assured again at the back. I think it's just early season. Just getting that that back four consolidated. Who's going to who's going to take that centre back place, and, and then we'll kick off from there. So I'm not too worried. I think the midfield as well. I think getting that six. I think getting Fabinho into form will be quite quite a big one. Also, we didn't have him against the Saints, and you know first came back against Norwich again. You know first season. So I'm not too concerned. I think as soon as number six is sorted, Fabinho hits form, the back four are settled. Alisson's back, we'll, we'll be fine.
1: Very interesting stuff. Is that a fair assessment, Stephen? Would you agree with that in terms of you know our problems so far?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been noticeable, a lot of things coming down the right this season. But um, I thought it was interesting against Southampton that pretty much all the... If you watch the highlights of the game, all the bad things came down the left. So like the the cross that Matip almost turned into his own goal was down the left. Uh, the chance that um, Che Adams got between... Matip and Trent Alexander-Arnold for another cross, but that came in from the left as well. And basically all the dangerous balls were coming in from the left. And I noticed a few times that Robertson switched off. So, and it's, it's probably just like a, a tiredness thing because it's been a, a hard preseason and a lot of football. But um, our left at the weekend seemed weaker than the right. Um, and the interesting thing with that as well is that um, usually our, our left's quite strong because Salah kind of cheats a bit and stays high up the pitch because uh, Klopp wants him providing a threat on the counter, and uh, it's usually Mane on the left that tracks back and helps out, so it's, it's kind of rare to see that. Um, I usually expect most attacks to come down our right for that reason. It, it's just uh, the weaker side of our pitch defensively, um, but the left at the weekend in particular seemed like all the danger came down there, which is quite strange.
1: That's very interesting as well. I mean, yeah, very very interesting summary. Um... Absolutely, um, Fergus. What, I mean, what would you put it down to this? This, uh, you know, conceding all these chances. I think Gary Ninda said on Match of the Day that I think we we only conceded as many shots once last season as we did against Southampton. Something like that. What would you put it down to, Fergus?
3: Um, I think that teams have had a look at us last season, how successful we were. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about the Liverpool high line. Are Liverpool playing a higher line this year? I don't believe they are. I haven't seen any evidence that we are playing a a higher line than last year. Because, uh, to be frank, if you look at the Liverpool line when we're attacking, uh, Van Dijk and Matip are standing on the edge of the uh, centre circle in the opposition half. And you can't get much higher than that, otherwise you'll be... You'll be basically uh, you know even closer to the opposition penalty area, so our, our line can't get higher, so that's just um, uh, uh, speculation on people's parts. But what it is is that um people re- people know we pay a high line, and they're trying to counteract that. so what they're doing is um, a dribbling, they know that they, they want to beat our press so our press comes from the midfield the forwards finally the defense but they want to beat our press so they do that by a dribbling or b through balls so that's what they're doing they're trying to beat the press they're realizing that if they beat the press it's a it's a foot race with our defenders there's two ways to beat the press that's a through ball that cuts through the midfield and defense or a, a, a dribble that beats the beats the press beats the man Uh, The first man, the second man, uh, which is either Firmino, let's say, for example, or Milner. Once they beat him, then they're through. They've got their runners running through and they can play a through ball. So that's what teams are doing. That's why they're getting extra chances. And it's nothing to do with the line being higher, but it is about teams trying to uh, outwit the Liverpool um, high line at the Liverpool press. Now, what do we do about that? I mean it's it's common knowledge that City get away with midfield fouls all of the time and I think that's what we have to do we uh, I don't we don't give away nearly enough fouls and I think we have to give away more um and we also have to just be more aware that 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 teams are now adapting their styles to cope with our style
2: I think also whenever people are trying to analyse things uh, I see a lot of it on on Twitter in particular uh, and on television with pundits they try to find a reason why something's happening Uh, and even in politics as well, it's like, why is this happening? And then people say, it's this one reason, this one thing is the cause of, and and it's it's very reductive, I think. But um, I think it's, again, it's a whole lot of lots of things. I think the fact that uh, VAR has changed the way offside works is a big deal because uh, linesmen aren't putting the flags up as quickly anymore for offsides. They're waiting for VAR to make the decision on that later. So more attacks are developing that are probably offside. So more through balls that get in behind us in the past, it would just be flagged offside and we'd be like, ah, oh, nothing happened. But now the whole play develops. There's a shot and we're like, wow, we got off one there. Because you see the whole play develop, so therefore you feel like things are worse than they were before. Um, but I also think as well we have a, a problem in midfield with compactness, and it, uh, it tends to happen an awful lot, of, particularly when Milner and Henderson are on the pitch together, um, because they both can't kind of drift outside. to look for space to get on the ball. And if you've got one over on the right and one over on the left. We, we saw it in particular against Chelsea. It leaves Fabinho with pretty much the whole of the middle of the pitch to defend on his own. Uh, so when an attack breaks down, they just cut right through the middle of you. Uh, and you can't put any pressure on the ball. Um, because you're so isolated in midfield, it's really easy to dribble past uh, Fabinho because he's, he's there alone. Uh, and it's easy to get your head up and pick out runners when there's nothing in front of you to put any pressure on the ball. Um, so defensively, whenever you're basically trying to defend you're trying to do one of two things you're either trying to defend uh, time or defend space Uh, so the first one's pressure on the ball means that they don't have time on the ball they can't look up they can't pick out passes they have to focus on getting past you to do that Uh, and the second one defending space is basically if someone has time on the ball you have to drop off so that they can't attack the space that's in behind Um, so like Burnley for example sitting in their low block that's defending space they'll give you all the time in the ball that you want, but it'll be nowhere near the goal where you can actually hurt them. Um, And at the moment, we seem to be struggling to do either of those things, and we're effectively letting teams do both at times. They're having plenty of time in the ball, running through our midfield, uh, and we're giving them lots of space with a high line. Um, So there needs to be, at some point, there needs to be some adjustment there, and whether that's changing the personnel. Um, I don't know whether Milner's age is catching up with him. I noticed that um, at the weekend, for example, he didn't win a single one of his duels on the ground. Uh, He was dribbled past four times, which was four times as many as any other Liverpool player on the pitch. Um, And he just seems like, I don't think he can play a lot of football game after game at the moment. Um, He's like the fittest player in the league at his age by far, but um, the laws of um, being human still apply. Uh, You can't just continuously play someone who's 33, 34 years old and expect them to maintain a high level and ultimately the fast twitch muscles will be the first things to go those little reaction muscles that you need for counter pressing for quickly covering the first five yards first few yards so he can run up and down the pitch all day long but those little reaction movements um we saw the same i think with jared as well when he got to an older age as well he he couldn't make those quick movements as much and therefore sitting off deeper in midfield it sort of helped him because the whole game was in front of him didn't need to run up and down as much anymore didn't need to uh, make those quick chases after players over five yards. But um oh, there's some yeah. music going on. Yeah, it think like there's someone on the beach playing Music apologies. Oh that's okay.
1: That's okay. I mean that's nice. It's a nice it's a nice soundtrack. Uh to 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 talking about yes yeah, space in midfield and Milner. Can he go on forever? Perhaps that's the universe, you know serenading us to say yes he can uh, but I don't know yeah maybe you're right I mean and you're absolutely right to bring up how complex it is as well it's a complex thing one thing that uh, Klopp's mentioned and you know it's quite a simple thing is that we yeah we, we just shouldn't give the ball away in it, it, when uh, you know at certain points and one stat that I always always look at and because I think it's really telling about a whole team's performance is the passing accuracy and a passing accuracy I mean usually around 84 Eighty-four percent is a very good, you know, performance, and we we do hit that quite consistently. But uh, yesterday it was down at seventy-eight percent, and just those few percent, you know, means that you're giving the ball away a bit too often. And, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, that's a bit of a problem for us as well. But it's uh, this is all really fascinating stuff. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, looking at that first half especially, the XG uh, for uh, Southampton, according to InfoGoal, was 1.17 and ours was 0.19. But uh, getting back on the positives, it was 0.19, but we had Sadio Mane. Uh, he, on the stroke of half time I mean I don't know I've probably seen it about 24 times that goal and I love that angle from uh, you know behind and you can see Virgil lifting his arms in the air and you can just see the curl you know it's a booming shot and, and here we are getting to watch one of my favorite ever liverpool players uh, sadio mané already he's he's up there uh, in the prime of his career and it's just so exciting marty i just love sadio mané and his performance yesterday was 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 beautiful isaac newton one of his laws says that you know it, it, you know per- basically perpetual motion can't exist Um, you know, when you expend energy, some energy must be expended, but Sadio Mane, he's like a dynamo, he's like a non-stop dynamo, screw you Sir Isaac Newton, Sadio Mane is proving us all that, uh, you know, the laws of physics don't apply.
0: Yeah, I've always said, on form, top form, Sadio Mane is our best attacker, I've maintained that since Salah came, obviously Firmino, Um, I think when he's on his day, he's unplayable, he's got such a mixture of pace, power, dynamism, his, his speed from a standing start is almost scary. Um, you know, I don't think any player in world football will want to play against him. And for me, I think the term world-class is, is banded about in amongst players quite a lot. But anyone can have world-class abilities. Anyone, you know, a, a player at Norwich could can put one in, top, in the top corner from 40 yards out and that would be deemed world-class ability. But for me, world-class is about consistency and how consistent you are you talk about the very best in Ronaldo and Messi. um, You know, they do it week in, week out, when it matters. The little games, the big games, the Champions League, the league, the domestic cups. I think Sadio Mane, for me, is starting to hit that world-class bracket in terms of consistency. He's just come off the back of a season where he was the joint top scorer. And he seems to pick up where he left off. And for me, he's doing it when we need him. And you look in the Super Cup, you know, he, he pops up twice when we need him. Again, Southampton, you know, we're under the cosh. We need a goal. He gets the goal, and I just think he's really starting to to hit that you know top top. He could be top five in the world if if he has another good season. I, I can't think outside of you know your and Ronaldo, you know Bar Hazard maybe on his day. Who who is a better winger than than Sadio Mane? And for me, I'd even challenge him against Faden Hazard. I think he's absolutely unbelievable, and he's adding bits to his game now that we didn't know he had. We always know he had that explosive pace, and he could beat a man and. You know he could he he could finish. He was sometimes a bit wasteful, but he's been a lot more clinical. But for me, if you look at look at some of his play from the Southampton game, uh, he's starting to his all round game starting to improve. You look at how he's picking the ball up deep, he's pressing through, he's breaking the lines, and he's he's playing in defense cutting passes. And you look at the one from Mo Salah, and you think if he can nail all of these parts of his game down, there's not many players in the world that'll be better than him. And I think it's going to get to the point where. We may have a struggle to keep hold of Marnet. I think come the summer, it would not surprise me if two big Spanish clubs come knocking for him. He, he's performing that well. But for me, if I had to let one of them go, it would be Salah over Mane. I don't think we can, we can afford to lose him. I think he's that good. Um, he's also shown his versatility. You know, we know he can play on the right from the first season we had him. Obviously, he's, pretty, he's playing predominantly on the left. But when we need him, he plays in the middle. Um, I just think he's absolutely excellent. I, I, I agree with you, Owen. I think he's, he's just a bit of a freak of nature, really. But I think for me, this season and last season, he's just adding that, that consistency. He's scoring more, he's missing less, he's performing more, he's turning up in the big games when we need him. I just think he's become, arguably, alongside Virgil, our most influential and our best player. And I just think when he's not in the side, you notice. I think you notice him so much when he's missing. I, I just don't think we can, we can afford to have him out too much.
2: Uh, can I We're chip action. in as well? Just some data for Manny as well. Uh, I I, I tweeted ahead. out something yesterday from Crack Stats. Um, basically, it was his chance creation maps from last year and uh, also the year before. Uh, basically, pointing out he had one assist last year, so it sounds like he wasn't very creative. But his actual underlying numbers, like his expected assists, the number of big chances he created, the average probability that any chance he creates results in a goal they're all going up um, from the previous year it's just that the player who d- t- took the shot didn't score uh, and we saw a bit of that yesterday when um, for example he played the three ball to Salah for the one-on-one and then Salah hits it into the corner and the keeper gets a toe on it and it isn't a goal and then again he the counter attack where Jeannie uh, Wijnaldum escaped the press play the three ball to Mane Manny cuts it across to Firmino, who's totally alone in the box and just squirms the shot a little bit wide. And it's moments like that he's creating those chances. They're just not being scored. Um, But yesterday he created uh, two big chances, uh, five chances in total, and got one assist. Um, And and last season he got one assist, so he's already equaled last season in assists. And he created six big chances last season, which is pretty good. Uh, and, And this year he's already got two, so... He's like on the way to destroying last season's numbers in terms of creativity. Uh, and he's also scoring goals. So it's it's almost like he's going up another level, which is kind of scary to think, but that might actually be happening. Um, but the other thing that people don't really pay attention to him too much is the amount of work he puts in off the ball. It's just outrageous. He's definitely our hardest working forward, I think. He just always seems to be pressing and always seems to be running. Um, and yesterday, for example, he had, I think it was 17 duels and uh, won nine of them. And the second for duels on our team was nine with Gini Wijnaldum, Uh eight less than Manny, And uh, he won five, which is uh, four less than Mane. Uh I think um, Oxley chamberlain had four of four. So he only had four duels, but he won them all. Uh, and there was a couple of other players. I think um, Firmino had eight, I think, and won five. Uh, but yeah, Mani puts in a lot of work and is very effective with it as well. I think he won three of three his tackles as well. Uh, all of his tackles he won. So, and also, uh, looking at possession, one he won the ball seven times for us, uh, and twice of those were in the opposition's final third. One of which resulted in the goal for Firmino. Uh, and these are big numbers. That's like I think the highest on our team was eight possession wins, and that was. Wijnaldum, and I think two was the highest in the final third, which was Mane. So it's his numbers off the ball are ridiculous, just as ridiculous as his numbers on the ball at the moment. But um, he also might be just going up a level, which is impressive.
1: It's frightening. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I was lucky enough to, to speak to some PSG players after we played them last year. And uh, they were, you know, unanimous that Sadio Mane was the, the most difficult player at uh, Liverpool. Um, have you know the most difficult player to play against and and as you, as you say i mean he's going up he's going up you know levels and levels fergus um i want to ask you what, uh, something marty uh, mentioned uh if if you if we were if the worst were to happen and we were to lose one of mané or, or Salah in the summer um which one would you sell or, oh god it's a horrible thought but which one would you prefer to lose fergus and Talk talk to us about you know Sadio as well and how how just amazing he is.
3: Yeah, obviously I wouldn't like to lose either, and I hope. um, I think it is it is a pertinent question because uh, footballers will always, even though we have both Mane and Salah's loyalty right now, uh, we know that um, that there is wage inflation. The likes of Neymar, Messi and others even uh, sanchez at man united and griezmann um, at uh, barcelona command huge salaries probably two to three times maybe even four times what what um, salah and mane are on but look at Sala and mane's output compared to the likes of even griezmann or especially neymar um, uh, especially sanchez I mean it, it, Liverpool are going to have to compete if when it comes to contract renewal time um you know we are going to have to pay either pay these players what the market says they're worth or they're going to be transferred out so it is a very pertinent question I wouldn't like to lose either um but if it came down to the um the the, the having to keep one because of a wage structure or a transfer I'd probably keep Salah myself just because of his goal output He's a world-class player and um, he's always a goal threat, so probably just him.
1: I would agree with you, Fergus. I mean, I said earlier, Sadio Mane is one of my favourite ever Liverpool players. So is Mo Salah, uh, because I think Mo Salah just has consistently been just a nightmare again for defenders to deal with and it's 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 a really hard thing uh, but uh, you know that that brings us to to a point um made by uh, dr mo Hak- Hakim, who's a friend of the show he made a really interesting point i was going to get onto this later but let's do this now um he said our front three i mean we could we i'm sure we could all agree that they're they're in the top 10 forwards in the world i mean you know for uh, Salah Mane. I mean, you could at least make a really strong case that they're in the top ten. You could al- also make the point that three of our back four could be in the top ten for best defenders in the world. Uh, obviously, Robertson, uh, Van Dyke, Maybe not on current form, but Trent. You know, I mean, he's 20 years old. He's he's up there. You know, with you know, as as a youngster. But our midfield. Is our midfield good enough? And I'm just going to go straight back to you, Fergus, on on this one and then go around. But you could take this one. Is our midfield, do we need, I mean, would you put any of them in the top 10 in the world?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. And it it raises a lot of controversy amongst Liverpool supporters. Some of them are always saying we don't have a created enough midfield. Um, But I think, you know, the way that the team is tactically... Our, our fullbacks go forward, and they provide. Um, so we've got, let's say, five in attack normally. That's the front three plus the two fullbacks. So they're, they're, they're our attacking threat. Um, and then the midfield provide cover with the back two, which the two left behind in the back would normally be Gomez and Matip. Then the midfield cover. So the, the fullbacks provide the attacking width. The midfield is a narrow three in the midfield. So that that's uh, whether by necessity or by choice that's how we attack now whether they're good enough um i think they are good enough to 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 do the job that's that's asked of them by Klopp. um there is a question over mark over milner is he is he is this finally the season where he he shows he's too old i don't know yet let's see let's look at the stats as as the gate as the um season goes on steven had an interesting stat that he was dribbled past four times know that's that's um that's a concern so yes our midfield is good enough it's good enough for the job it won the champions league last year and it got 97 points in the league so um and it's fine and we have plenty of cover in midfield i thought chamberlain was excellent against southampton one of our top performers um we we have you know, midfield is one of our strongest areas where there is room for no, rotation. We're still waiting for Kater to come in and do his best work. We know how good he is, but he just has to get uh, stay stay fit for long enough. So that the midfield definitely has a lot of strength and
1: strength in depth. It's a good answer. What's your take on it, Stephen?
2: Yeah, I agree a lot of what uh, Fergus says. I mean, if you look at these um, these best in the world lists that people sort of do, uh, people tend to mostly just think of uh, attacking things. Uh, and then the second thing people think of is relation to the ball. Um, and so if you think of, say, for example, Emery Chan's the best example I can think of at Liverpool. My problem with Emery Chan is always he's a player that kind of chases the ball. Uh, they'd be very reductionist. Imagine a uh, playground football where all the kids run after the ball. So the people who are better running after the ball are going to get to the ball the most and do the most with the ball and because most data relates to actions on the ball uh, that's how all public data is those players that chase the ball have better numbers than ones who don't but in football if you watch if you watch any game live and watch the players who position themselves in spaces and close up angles and keep things compact they're the ones that stop your team's being played for you. And, and you get like if you look at like the 1994 Brazilian World Cup team you have Mauro Silva no one's going to remember him. And if you talk about, like, best in the world, no one's going to say Mauro Silva. But if you go back and watch those games, he was so important to everything they done. Like, he just did not give up any space in midfield. He kept everything compact. You couldn't play through Brazil. Uh, and every time Brazil went forward, he positioned himself exactly where the counterattacks would break down. Um, he would just be in that position. Uh, and it's the same as someone like Didier Deschamps in, in France. Again, no one would say best in the world. Didier Deschamps, but you go back and watch those French teams that dominated uh, with him and McAuley or uh, Zidane. Um, Didier Deschamps was so important to them just for positioning himself exactly where he needed to be for the team to stay compact. Because those guys that wander off or go chasing the ball, they're going to leave holes. And those holes are the things that teams dribble through, pass through, through balls. That all happens because you leave holes. Um, And so... I think that's something that people overlook um, whenever they're talking about best in the world. They tend to just focus on attacking things and then also just all other things relating to the ball, like how many tackles someone does or interceptions or whatever. And and usually the guy who's having to do a lot of that work is the guy who's stepping out and having to do that work. Uh, Whereas if you just stay compact, teams have to play around you and eventually you end up breaking up attacks just by staying compact and staying in your shape and waiting until the opposition makes mistakes and winning the ball back in an easier way. Um, and it's very, very undervalued, but I think it's quite important. Um, and then again, what F- uh, Fergus was saying about how our midfield provides cover, that's exactly it again. People look at our fullbacks and the numbers they put up. And then if you look at Man City's fullbacks, they don't put up anywhere near the numbers. And the reason is is that when Manchester City go forward, their midfield goes high uh, and as part of the final third, part of the attacking uh, finishing phase. Uh, whereas for us, that's our fullbacks. And their fullbacks provide cover, they tuck in, uh, they position themselves to um, stop counter-attacks. That's what our midfield does, Uh, in particular Wynaldum. If you watch Wijnaldum play, he's the guy that breaks up counter-attacks. Usually just by using his butt and sticking it in front of people and shielding the ball until we can get some um, shape back. And that's essentially what we do. Um, And it's just one of those things, it's going to be undervalued, it doesn't look good, there's not any great numbers for doing it, but it's important and it's an effective thing, and that's one of the reasons why defensively we were so good last season is that we didn't get counterattacked at all. I think we conceded zero goals from counterattacks last year. Um, it just it's important. You have to accept it's important, uh, and so when also like uh, Pep Linders, I think was talking recently as well about um, our our side, and he said the two players that were most important to our way of playing were Wijnaldum and Firmino, and those are the two players that we started. Uh, without ga- uh, against Chelsea. And it was very noticeable that we had again nothing in the middle of the pitch. Um, whereas once those two came on, the through balls just stopped. Uh, I think we had four through balls against us up until the point Alden came on the pitch. After that, it was none until extra time. And then an extra time is just a case of being shattered. And so you can't run as much. Spaces open up and that happens. But um, once Wynaldum and Firmino come on, we look like a proper team. We were hard to play through. Everything made sense. That's that's the Liverpool I recognise. Before that, we were unrecognisable. Teams were just walking through us. It was ridiculous. So I think people underestimate our midfield because they don't appreciate what they're meant to be doing. They're sort of looking at the Man City midfield with green eyes, thinking that's what I want my midfield doing. But that's not what Klopp wants his midfield doing. So it's it's kind of irrelevant. But in saying that, I think in why not? Uh, sorry, in Keita and. Uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain we have two more attacking more penetrative midfielders Um, and if you look back to our 2016-17 season I think Wijnaldum and Lalana each had 15 goal involvements so those players and our system is capable of putting up those similar numbers it's just a case of whether it's best for us to do so Um, but I think eventually we'll see some evolution in the system whereby our midfield might be more involved they might start doing more of that stuff, but there'll be a trade-off because there always has to be. There has to be a balance, which will mean our fullbacks are going to not put up as good numbers. And then people are saying they've regressed and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that's one to look out for as well in the future is whether Kate and like chamberlain change how we play.
1: Yeah well, I mean that's a really fascinating answer as well yeah absolutely loads to think about but uh, yeah I mean somebody I saw somebody on twitter put, you know saying that he would love to see a, a midfield of fabinho Cater and Chamberlain, uh, I mean, it does sound lovely in terms of attacking, but yeah, as you rightly say, Stephen, and Fergus as well, you mentioned that, you know, that's not what Klopp wants. He wants three, you know, bulldozers, three, you know, people to do all the dog work, you know, and and cater has got to learn how to do that for us. And Chamberlain, I thought, I want to ask you about Chamberlain, Marty, because he's starting, you know, slowly but surely, to uh you know look like he's regaining some kind of form i thought he was good consistently he played uh, about 80 minutes or so and i thought he was you know if not sparkling he, it was certainly a decent performance from him what do you, what, what do you reckon about chamberlain and what do you expect from him this year marty um i don't
0: i don't expect massive things from chamberlain just yet. i think the injury that he had um you know, the back end of the season before, you know, it was a very, very, very serious one, even to the point where there's some whispers that were coming out, you know, from the club that they worried if Chamber if would ever play again at this level. So I think this season, you know, we need to, you know, manage expectations of the I think we'll probably start seeing him perform at the turn of the of the new year. Um, I think it's just about getting his, his fitness back up, trying to find that speed up. Um, you know, that kind of pace that he had, the explosiveness. So I'm not expecting huge things from him. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of glad to see him back on the field, to be fair. Um, but I, I do think he's got a role to play. I mean, what I always say about the midfield is, you know, I do think it could improve. Um, I think, as a whole, you know, it is quite a conservative midfield bunch. I think, bar and Ox, you know, they, they all do the similar kind of job. Um, and you look back, obviously, the dreaded F word for Kia. Um, We've... We, we, Tried to get a deal done for him and couldn't get it done um and then and then never quite went back in for anyone of the same ilk or the same position as as nabil Fekir. so i do wonder if klopp is maybe still looking at it thinking is there something missing from that um but maybe octave chamberlain's his man um maybe Fekir obviously was someone in mind in case oxlade chamberlain didn't come back or or wasn't able to, to produce what he could produce before but i think with ox i really like ox i always liked him when he was at arsenal i think you know, he's got a perfect mix of of everything, really. You know, he'll track back. He's got a ball on him. He obviously, as we've seen in the two-man City games, he can shoot, he can pick a pass, he can beat a man. Um, it's just about being patient with him this season. I think not too much expectation. Um, just just keep with him, wait for him to get back to, to full fitness and full ability. And I think we've got, you know, a real player there. You know, Arsenal fans that I know were, you know, were devastated to lose him when he moved to us. But um, I think the season we reached the final, um, obviously in Kiev. You know he was showing what he what he could do for us. I think Venga kept playing him out of position at wing back, which was frustrating him. Um, you know, and he had a point to prove when he came to Liverpool. That when he did play in that midfield three, um, you know that, that he could produce for us. I think he definitely can. Um, I think he offers something very different from any of our other midfielders. I think he's probably quite similar to um, Cater in respect that he can pick the ball up, uh, pick the ball up deep, beat a man, and, and push forward. Um, break the line, so I'm excited to see see him in the second half of the season. Like I said, first half of the season, I'm not not expecting huge amounts from him. I just want to keep him fit and make sure that you know he gets back to to what we know he can be. Um, but Southampton w- was the first game since his return to injury through pre season that he started looking like his old self. Um, you know, he, he played, you know, in a front three in the Super Cup, uh, but he didn't, you know, he, he did look a little bit out of sorts. But I think he's learned to play that number ten. Uh, so going back to, to kind of part of the front three was a little bit difficult for him, but as I mentioned, you know, expect big things second half of the season. Just want to keep him fit the first few months and see how we go from there.
1: Yeah, great answer. I mean, yeah, we, we do have to be patient. It's a really good point, and uh, you know, but it'll be it'll be so nice to see him back and you know back in full form, on in full flow. And uh, I don't know. I think our midfield. Yeah, I think we're, we 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 secretly. You know, I think we're, we're we're pretty good in midfield. I do, I do. I think we're good. I rate Hendo as well. But anyway, um, let's move on because we don't have all that much time. Uh, to a big result that happened um, uh, after the Liverpool match was uh, between Man City and Spurs. Um, a big smiles on my face because uh, I saw it. I wa- I was watching that game live, and. Uh, <laughs> VAR, ooh, uh, I think that result could be hugely significant because Man City. I might be just talking myself into this, but I think Manchester City, having lost, you know, that that you know, the the Champions League last season with VAR, no goal last minute, uh, the same thing happening this season. Had that goal gone in, again, you're talking massive momentum. But no, it didn't. Well, it went in, but it wasn't given. And I'm not sure about this decision uh, with VAR. I don't know if it was a handball, really. I mean, it was was certainly contentious. Uh, But I think this result could be really, really significant because had that stood... Uh, people would be saying City, who were practically down to 10 men because Zinchenko was injured and they'd used all their subs, you know, but still they're coming through and, you know, who's going to stop them? They can even beat Spurs after they had like 36 shots or whatever it was to Spurs is two on target. Uh, but it was 2-2. Uh, I'm going to go to you, Stephen, first on this one. Mad City, Spurs. Uh, how significant was that result? And what do you think of VAR?
2: Yeah, uh, first of all, the result. Uh, obviously, it's a, a good result for us or, or anybody else hoping to win the title. Um, it's also an important result because um, last season, Manchester City didn't really drop many points uh, against the big six. Um, the points they dropped are kind of against the lower lower sides where um, you just get frustrated and, and the result doesn't happen. Things like think like Newcastle, Crystal Palace, they took points off them last season, but um, against the top six, no one really took points off them. Um, and that's kind of a problem for us this year as well, because if we want to uh, win the league, we need to be one of the teams taking points off them. Uh, they got four points last season from our games, so we need to be doing better there. So um, that's a big thing, just them dropping points against another big side in the Premier League, because it's... It hopefully means the other big teams will actually try and get something against them rather than just surrendering and looking at it as three points lost and move on. Um, about VAR in general, um, I was actually looking into this, and um, in terms of how much impact VAR could could make uh, for it being introduced in the Premier League, the actual input uh, the actual impact doesn't look like it's that big. Um, the amount of time, for example, for the goal yesterday. The review took, I think it was like 65 seconds. And there's only one VAR review roughly every five games. Um, And a goal, once you can see the goal, uh, usually takes about 45, 50 seconds to kick off anyway. So there's not really much time impact. And I was looking at um, other leagues in Europe that introduced VAR in terms of whether there's more penalties, more goals, more red cards. Because most VAR reviews are actually for red card decisions off the ball. And uh, the number of red cards dropped by something like 4% um, overall uh, in those leagues, um, which suggests maybe teams are more cautious about things or players are more cautious about things because of it. Or maybe it just means it did not have any impact at all. Uh, it just got decisions right in the balance out. Decisions that were previously wrong get overturned. Decisions that were previously right. Uh, sorry. Uh, decisions that were previously right uh, continue. And that's the way it works out. So, it doesn't seem to have any impact in terms of red cards. In terms of goals, the number of goals changed by about, I think it went down by 2%. Uh, and then when I actually looked deeper, it went down by uh, 7% in the first year, and then went back up by 6% in the second year. So overall, it worked out at a, roughly a 2% difference. Um, and suggests that whenever the referees got used to VAR, uh, things worked smoother, uh, and therefore, Uh, the action improved games were more exciting or something Uh, penalty decisions was the exact same thing there was actually the exact same number of penalty decisions so I think VAR is going to have a very negligible impact in terms of the actual whether there's going to be more or less goals more or less penalties the amount of time played it's not going to have that big impact the impact is the emotional one it's um I think people are used to having decisions that are contentious and VAR's trying to change decisions into black or white, like it's right or it's wrong. And people want this whole thing about clear and obvious. And what that essentially is saying is you want that reasonable doubt again, whereby uh, a decision that's oh, almost onside, that's fine. But where do you draw the line? At what point is almost onside, offside? And so it's it's just a weird one. They're trying to change it. So it's basically that's offside. That's a handball. That's a penalty that's over the line and that can only be good for the sport in terms of a competition. It's just whether it's as enjoyable for fans is another question. Um, And I think people are just generally resistant to change. So there's that too. Uh, Every industry I've worked in where they've brought in new technology, no matter how obvious it was that it was needed, there was always people that were resistant to it. Like for no no good reason. I, I worked in a place that had files for our clients and computerizing all the files to get rid of paper people were against. And then uh, within a few years, like five years later, you've got, uh, we went from like we like 800 files to 13,000 clients. So we would have needed 13,000 big uh, lever arch files of clients. Where would you keep them? Like, how is that manageable (laughs) at all? But the argument was always, well, if you've got no power, then you need a file to look through or, you know, how do you have a paper trail here? Can you see who signed it? who initialed it and so there's always people just resistant to change anyway so I think there's a lot of that with VAR as well there's a lot of people who are just generally don't like change they like it the way it is it's going to change they don't like the idea of change and I think it might just be a little bit of that too
1: that's a very good answer yeah you should see my mum with her new telephone God, it's difficult uh Fergus where do you stand on it VAR uh I think that having experienced the, the
3: VAR in the stadium I went to a match here in Portugal um, last year, the end towards the end of the season, and uh, it was Far um, has been running in Portugal for for last season, as it has in other leagues around Europe like La Liga. Um, it was it's very confusing as a fan experience. I think uh, it's it'll be it's fine for the TV viewers. It's probably fine. They're going to have to refine. Well, they have done. They have refined the laws of the game to make them more legal, more legal ease. Um, a bit like American football, so that there's less less room for doubt. They've had to do, do that with handball, etc. But really, I think what is um, going to change, they're going to have to bring in big screens into the stadiums in the Premier League because uh, it's not good as a fan experience. And those clubs like Man United and Liverpool, which... Can't fit a big screen into their grounds and don't have the current um, architecture to fit one in. Will have to go without a screen for the time being until they do uh, remodel their grounds to fit a big screen in. But I think that's going to be. I think VAR is here to stay, um, and it, and it's it's you know if it works, I, I'm I'm okay with it. But um, the, the the next big step will have to be bringing the big screen to allow the replays to be shown in the stadium because otherwise you're discriminating against the fans who attend the game compared to those who watch it on TV.
1: Yeah, it's a very fair point actually, yeah, for the people involved. Or at least I don't know, can you mic up the referees or something? I mean, I don't know, there there are certainly ser- several solutions, and several ways of making it better. Um what's your opinion Marty on, uh, you know, the City game, uh, you know, and uh, also VAR? For me, going to the City
0: game, one thing that highlighted for me is how much of a threat I think Spurs will be this season. Um I think a lot of you know, winning titles is is a mentality thing. I think last season against City, the experience for City counted. They knew when to gamble. Um, Pep Guardiola knew when to pick a risky team, when to put perhaps an attacker on when perhaps we got a little bit cagey and put a defender on or a a midfielder. And I think for Spurs this season, I think for us, when we got to the Champions League final, we kind of had a a realisation that we were a good team and we had a little bit of... um, you know, a bit of a point to prove actually, and a little bit more hunger than we had before, and that little bit more experience of reaching a final. And I think looking at Spurs, you know, possession wise and passing stats and all of that, that chugging, you know, they were obviously paid off the puck, but they've gone to the Etihad and got a draw. They had a couple of chances and they took them. Um, and I think that highlighted for me that Spurs are going to be a threat this year. I think they've 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 reached a major final. They got beat by us, albeit you know they they performed quite well in the final. To be honest. Um, but they're going to be a threat this year. And I think for us as well, you know, that City game, that will give us a lift because I think we've saw, uh, you know, some fragile moments from City already in game week two. Um, So for me, it was was quite a a nice, refreshing game seeing an an extra player in the game in Spurs um, in this title race and some fragility from City quite early on. Uh, And I think Klopp's going to look at that and think there's weaknesses to expose both in the direct games of City and in the season to come. Um, when it comes to VAR, i mean i'll be completely honest with you if that goal was disallowed for us i i'd be fuming i thought it was poppy. i thought it was pretty pathetic and i think even hugo Lloris, obviously in the spurs goal even laughed in, in disbelief that it got disallowed i mean by the laws of var it was a handball um but but let's be honest short of removing the arm from his body i don't really know what laporte could have done to move his hand so I think it, throughout the season, VAR is going to be our best friend and our worst enemy. I think the Spurs last night, they love v- VAR, but I think when it happens to them next week or in a couple of weeks when the goals is disallowed, they'll hate it same way that at the moment, I think VAR is Liverpool's enemy after the Super Cup when that penalty was clearly not a penalty. Um, however, when we get an offside goal, uh, you know, such as, you uh, know the goal against Arsenal, a way that didn't get given for Mane uh, and the other goals that got this and we actually get it. It'll be our best friend. So, look, I think the concept is good, but I think the way it's delivered in some aspects of it need to be revisited. I think the offside rule and where you don't put your flag up um, it, it is, is quite silly. I think if you can see that it's quite a clear offside, you need to be flagging. If, if a player were to get injured when the line knows it's offside and could have flagged him, and preventing it, it needs sorting out, um, yeah, and I think just the general use of VAR, the clearing and, and obvious mistake rule I think is a bit a bit silly. Um, I think if it's if the decision's wrong, then VAR overturns it. I think that's the point of it. So good concept, I think it'll wind us up, but I think it'll be our best friend at times, uh, but they need to just look at some of the intricacies of how it's delivered, and I think we could have a very good tour. I think if anyone watches the rugby, uh, you know obviously they've got a very similar thing there and it works very, very well very efficient, very quick. I think they could speed the process up. I think they could have better communication. And I think their general ball of, of just overturning a, a wrong decision needs to be implemented, not just this, this nonsense they hide behind a clear and obvious mistake because, you know, a mistake is a mistake, whether it's clear and obvious or, or a small one. VAR the is there to, to kick the, the errors out of the game so let's make sure that it's consistent. And I think, you know, the, again, use that word consistency, I think it's going to be quite big. You know, I think already we've seen decisions that are overturned in some games and decisions that aren't overturned in others. I think Liverpool have been victims of the AR a couple of times. I think the Chelsea at home, the League Cup, when one uh, their first goal was offside, and it was it was still given. Obviously, the Super Cup, the penalty was not a penalty. It should have been overturned. So I quite like Bath, but I just think, you know, it needs to be, you know, maybe having a full season in the Premier League will help it get some more experience and help develop it a bit better. But it needs to have more consistency and I think the rules need to be looked at because quite frankly being being you know uh, unbiased I think that, that Man City goal disallowed was it was a joke so let's see how it develops in the season to come um, but I think we need to kind of be patient with it and, and kind of just, just wait for it to develop and, and just settle into you know the tool that it could potentially be in seasons to come
1: Oh it's difficult that penalty I, I could see I could actually see how they would have given it even though it's like a feathered touch uh, on his fingertips on abraham's knee, I mean there was that angle behind the goal line where you could actually see there was there was a bit of contact, but oh, i don't know yeah, it was soft as heck, definitely a debatable one, and this is and this is the thing is that you know we were talking about black and white decisions before it doesn't take contentiousness out of football i don't think it can because you know decisions like that, you know Laporte's handball assist yesterday. Um, The fact that it turned out to be an assist for the winning goal, you could say, well, you know, it did touch his arm, but yeah, like you say, was it intentional? No, and all the old rules, God, is complicated, isn't it? But for me, I think it's a good thing I'm pro-Var because you know i think the referees alone uh, i mean they 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 they're not up to the task and if you've got video assistance to help them you know make you know maybe you know 5 or 10% of the decisions that they get wrong to overturn them it uh, would be absolutely excellent uh, but uh, yeah it's still going to be contentious as we go on um i'm just going to finish uh, on talk about arsenal which is our next match uh, next week, uh, five thirty UK time kickoff. Um, ooh, at Anfield. Ooh, and um, there's so much to look forward to. Uh, Stephen, tell me, what are you most looking forward to in this match?
2: Just beating Arsenal is is enough to look forward to. It, it it's something that we seem to do at Anfield so well. Is just beat Arsenal. So. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I always look forward to playing Arsenal. Out of all of the, the big six teams, Arsenal's the one I always look forward to playing the most. It's just, there always seems to be two attacking teams, two open teams, lots of chances. Firmino seems to be on a different level in those games. Mane also ha- just has a habit of playing well against, I don't know, I just love playing against Arsenal. It's, it's one of my favourite fixtures. Always look forward to it. Um, But also, I saw a video on Twitter, uh, I think it was yesterday, of an Arsenal fan talking about how uh, Joe Gomez is crap and they're going to do this and stuff. Just little things like that just make you want to beat them a little bit more, you know? Like, you think, I already want to beat them. I want the three points. I like beating Arsenal. I like playing against them. I've got friends who are Arsenal fans, so it's kind of funny for a banter point of view. But when you see little things like that, when someone's, like, trashing one of your players... Uh, for no good reason, just just gives you a little bit of extra. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, it's a lovely answer. Yeah, it should be lovely, and you know, hopefully another five goals would be rather nice. But yes, I mean, just a three points would be super, wouldn't it, Marty? What do you What are you most looking forward to in this one? No,
0: yeah, I, I, I quite echo Stephen's uh, points there. I think out of the top six games for me, I think the Arsenal Liverpool one is my one of my favourites. Not the most meaningful, but. It is one of the more friendly rivalries, I think. I don't particularly mind Arsenal. I've got quite a few friends that support Arsenal. I think you know they were a good club. Uh, I've always, I always had you know a lot of time for Arsenal. Van when he was there, in the players they had, so it's just a good game between two teams that love attacking football. Uh, good football clubs, predominantly good sets of fans, and it's just, it's just one of those nice games that always produces never a bore. Uh, it's nice to beat them, get some bragging rights over them, say so they are a rival. Um, and, and like I said, you know, some of the players seem to really step up in those, those games um, it's just one of those typical under the lights at Anfield games big game, um, you know, we've had some really good games under the lights against Arsenal in the Champions League, in the league, for the title races um, obviously the top four places, and it's just got some history behind it so um, Arsenal's obviously strengthened this season um, obviously bringing in Nicola Pepe, um, Obviously important in Danny Tobias that so looks like a really good signing too um, you know they still look very fragile at the back. Uh, I think their midfield is a little bit light as well. So there's going to be goals. I think you know they've got enough to hurt us. Or ultimately, I think we'll we've got enough to land a killer blow. I think we'll probably put a few past them. And it's just a good a good night playing Arsenal. I think you know I said guaranteed goals. You know two good managers, two great sides, um, and, and obviously there someone's always got to go as well. Both both unbeaten so far, I think are not they? Arsenal and, in Liverpool so 100% records on the line and let's see, who, uh, let's see who keeps it
1: yeah absolutely yeah so Arsenal's results they beat Newcastle away 1-0 and they beat Burnley at home 2-1 uh, yesterday and uh, yeah I mean Burnley are a tough team uh, always of course whether you play them at home or away uh, so they be be happy with that result um, and uh, yeah they've got danger men throughout the team Nicola Pepe that you mentioned there he would have been one of my picks uh, for the summer if I was to choose pick anyone um, but uh, you know it went to us so congratulations to them and as you mentioned Caballos ooh yeah he looks like a some player uh, so yeah can't wait for that one um, do you have any other business uh, Stephen or Marty or um, you know is this a should we call it a wrap
2: I think the only thing was Adrian we were going to Mention whether, whether or not he's performing oh, well yeah. so far.
1: Or. Yeah, of course. One of the main talking points from yesterday. Uh, what have you got for us, Stephen?
2: Adrian's a, a goalkeeper I watched a lot um, at Real Betis because he, uh, Real Betis are kind of like my Spanish team. Uh, they're one of those working class teams and they always I uh, always used to try and catch their games against Sevilla because uh, it's just one of the best derby matches to watch. And so I've, I've saw a lot of them play and I always liked him. He, he's, he's exactly the sort of goalkeeper we need, which is someone who is gonna be very quick and brave off his line. He isn't gonna he doesn't have self doubt. He isn't he doesn't worry about things. He doesn't um second guess himself. And that was always my biggest criticism of Mignulae was you could almost see the gears working and, and turning in his head whenever he was trying to decide what to do. And he was so slow to make decisions at times. And the second thing is once he actually made a decision, watching him run off his line was like watching a guy run through a swamp. It was just it looked like it was a lot more effort than the speed he actually <laughs> moved. at. I always, always remember the penalty that we gave away against Vardy, and it was just uh, watching him come off his line was just horrific. What I'd watch him play them and go, oh, he should never come off his line. And I, I think so. He's the right sort of goalkeeper for us. I was worried when we were linked with like Butland and people like that because that's just more of the same. It's it's someone who's very good when you put them behind a low block and they just need to save shots. But and that's where Minule excelled at Sunderland. But if you're playing an open and expansive style and he's needing to defend and cover the whole pitch up until that defensive line, you've got a problem because that, that's not his game. So I always remember, for example, Karius against Manchester United. Whenever he was like 40 yards out of his goal winning a slide tackle up the pitch, you're like, well, a lot of people don't like Karius. That's exactly the sort of goalkeeper we need is someone who's going to cover that space, make those really brave decisions to come out quickly. And aggressively and close things down, and, and that's what Adrian is. The problem you have is everything a goalkeeper does is risk, and if you're risk averse, you don't make as many mistakes. But the mistake is actually being risk averse is the mistake is staying on on your line. You tend not to get called for it, but it's it, it costs you more in the long run. So goalkeepers like Karius and, and Allison and Neuer and uh, Adrian as well. Goalkeepers like that are going to make more mistakes. It's just the nature of how they play. They're very, very brave. They back themselves in every situation and they make mistakes. And it kind of happens. We've seen it with Alison already. Adrian's going to make mistakes as well. I'm, I'm kind of going to give him a bye at the weekend because I think a lot of that might be down to his injured ankle. Uh, I noticed like whenever the ball came back to him, he was very cautious about looking at his foot and watching the ball hit his foot and watching where it went to before he kicked it. So everything was taking a little bit longer to process. Um, And I think that's just having an injured ankle. If he had like painkillers, you probably couldn't even feel his own foot. So it's like being very deliberate about everything you're doing. And I think that tends to uh, contribute to problems as well. But I really like him. His his shot stopping numbers uh, at West Ham were good. They were sort of average the above average, whereas Mignolese for us were always in the bottom two or three goalkeepers in the league every single year. Like just very... Below par in terms of save percentage, performances against XG, whatever metrics you looked at, Minule was always in the bottom three. Um, whereas Adrian was always someone in the top, sort of like in the top seven or below. So I think he'll be a good goalkeeper for us. He's going to make mistakes. It's the way the way the position works when you're that style of goalkeeper. I think we need to cut, cut him a break because he is what we have. Um, but I'm okay with it. I'm I'm kind of happy with it. I'd be terrified if Minnieley was in goal for us this season, but it's it's Adrian, so I'm okay.
1: It's a really good answer, yeah. I mean, it's it's it is a step up, isn't it, Marty Adrian? What do you make of him so far in his two and a half games for us?
0: Yeah, it's a huge step up. I, what Stephen was saying, Minnieley was always low, whatever metric you you know you put against him, he was always low. He uh, good shot stopper, but he he was such a flapper. Um, you know, he wasn't good with his feet. He always looked like he was trying to kick a bowling ball, he, you know, great pro, very average, average goalkeeper. And I think Adrian, I put, you know, obviously the immediate aftermath on Twitter was, you know, obviously everyone was, was having to go at Adrian. And it, yeah, it wasn't great, you know, the mistake against Hamilton, but I put the blame more on the back four. There was way too much over-reliance on, on Adrian playing it back to him. Um, you know, I know it's our natural style of play, I know we utilise Alisson at every opportunity we can. We build from the back four, and Alisson and, and, and Adrian in weeks to come will be paramount to that. However, you do need to take into account the fact that he did have an injured ankle. And, you know, as Stephen mentioned, he would have been so loaded up on painkillers that he, he probably wouldn't have had much sense in, in whatever ankle or foot that it was that was injured. Um, and you, you could see that. You know, it was a very odd mistake. You know, it, you could see that it was a very strange kick. It looked very unnatural and I just think you know, it probably even towards that point obviously we were 82 minutes in perhaps some of the adrenaline and the pain relief was even wearing off and he was just you know he was struggling somewhat with you know, with his kicking at that point so I, th- I don't think we need to overanalyze that too much you know Alisson who cost over 60 million maybe that's probably a, 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 an even more stupid mistake against Leicester trying to croy turn in his own area um, you know and, and we let him off and we'll do the same with Adjuri and we need him get behind him he's a very very good deputy He's a very good number one. You know, if both clubs in in the top ten had him as a number one, you know they would probably be, uh, you know, be doing very well with him. So, a you know, very good keeper. He will certainly do a job. Excellent in the Super Cup. He was very good against Southampton, um, and, and he's definitely an upgrade on both, you know, Mignolet and Carrius. So, I'm more than happy with him.
2: Just one other thing to add. The, the other problem I always had with Minouli was. Uh, he was also the type of player, and I think we've seen it with Lavrin and, and uh, Moreno as well. Uh, Minier is the type of player that whenever he makes a mistake, it just weighs on his mind and then cascades his game from there. So, like, everything he does from that point is going to get progressively worse. He can't play his way back into the game. He would just cascade and gradually get worse. Uh, and it always made me think of, um, I remember Pepe You made a really bad mistake in the game uh, really early on, it cost us a goal. And then he was asked about it in the interview after the match, and he literally didn't remember making it. And the the interviewer said, no, the, the mistake he made first half, and he said, ah, oh, it's okay, I uh, recovered, played on, blah, blah, blah. But I think he just put it out of his mind to such an extent that he for, thought it was a completely different game. Uh, and that ability to compartmentalise your game, to put a, a problem or a mistake in a box, file it away under things that have already happened, and then just take the rest of the game from there and put in a top performance, that's something Mignolet could never do, or Moreno, or Lovren. As soon as they made a mistake, that was it. They were on shaky ground the rest of the game. Uh, and that's another reason why I think uh, goalkeepers like Adrian and Alisson are a big step up, because all goalkeepers are going to make mistakes. It's the way you recover from it. Uh, and that's also another reason why I'm very critical of uh, David De Gea, because I remember watching him for in the World Cup uh, against Portugal, as soon as he made one mistake in that game, he must have made about ten mistakes, and they were gradually getting more and more ridiculous. There was one point where he, he ran out of his box and uh, to win a header, and then stopped at the edge of the box. And then uh, Ronaldo challenged Piqué, and the ball was bouncing around, and he kind of just stood there and didn't know what to do. Like he was like fifteen yards off his line, just standing, watching play progress, trying to work out whether he should like come out further, jump, and try and win the ball. It was just awful to watch. And I think there's there's some goalkeepers that are just like that. Like, once they make a mistake, it, it gets worse. And I think the thing with David De Gea in the Premier League is he's found a way to build his game around staying on his line, minimising what he needs to do to just saving shots and being amazing at it. Uh, but if I think if you put uh, David De Gea in, say, Man City's team, if you look at how often, say, Ederson needs to come off his line in that Man City team, remember when he played against us, he, he won five challenges outside his box in one game or something like that Ederson so it's if you put David De Gea in that team he would get destroyed because he just can't deal with that system um so I think it's important to have a goalkeeper that fits your system Uh, and that's another reason why I think it's it's good for us to have someone like Adrian or like Alison um because it's it's what exactly what we need
1: Well, that's an excellent answer. Uh, It's nice to end on the positivity, and you're absolutely right to make that point about mentality. It doesn't just you know work for goalkeepers it's any anyone else i mean Virgil van Dijk you know immediately sprang to mind and that's another one that was on my agenda we didn't get to talk about was Virgil van Dijk uh, but i think we're going to call it a day just gentlemen if you haven't seen it yet already and uh, listeners as well if you haven't seen it yet already um, watch the game back against Southampton and uh, in the in the 58th minute, I think it was 57 minutes and around about 53 seconds, something like that. There was an outrageous flick by Virgil van Dyck, and it was, it was beautiful, it was artistic, and it was glorious. And uh, it's been all of those things to talk to you guys today. So thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. <laughs> So there we are. And thus, as our morsel of baguette sweeps up the very last of this episode's nutritious soup, let me just say a massive, huge thank you to you, the listener, for doing what you do best and listening. Cop On is a podcast dedicated to LFC fans the world over. So please do send us your hate mail to coponpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at coponpodcast. Also, uh, by the way, I got a message on the Anchor app directly from Brian in Hong Kong, but I'm afraid I can't reply to you, so please email me instead and as for the rest of you please take a moment to think about any LFC fans you might know, actually let's take a moment to do that yes, you, even you, think about it think about LFC fans you might know, even vaguely have you thought of one? good, Um, and would that person perhaps appreciate Cop On? if they would, why don't you tell them about it go on, do it we'll see you soon, thank you